Welcome, everybody, to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by thehockeythinktank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today. Jeffrey Scott Lavecchio and myself will be flying solo and we are going to talk about, and we've been talking about doing this for a while. Um, actually kind of when I started this uh, gig up here in upstate New York as the hockey director, uh, wanted to talk about and just give you my reflections on uh, the year that has gone by the things I've learned, things we did well, things we could have done better uh, and everything in between the craziness, the good and everything. So uh, I'm excited for this one. Vex, I know you're excited about this one. How you doing out in St. Louis today, man? Doing well, Broski. I'm, uh, uh, as you know, I'm, I'm in the thick of it off season time. This is my grind time now. So got about 40 guys in the gym. I think I probably had about today and, uh, four days a week. So man, I'm, I'm loving it. I'm stoked. This is reflection time for you and this is go time for me. So this will be a fun <laughs> episode. Uh, well, one of the things I've learned about youth hockey is it's always go time. <laughs> uh, it seems like this is a 12 month a year sport now, as in all sports, uh, which is crazy. And we can certainly talk about that. Um, but yeah, this is, uh, but be, actually, you know what, before we do get to this, the first thing I want to do is I want to say thank you to everybody that has reached out, uh, over these past week or so. So if you didn't listen to the last podcast episode, I let everybody know of uh, something going on with me. I am actually on my way to move to Chicago with my family. I have taken a position uh, with the Windy City Storm, which is a AAA organization out here in Chicago, formerly known as the Chicago Young Americans. Uh, I will be coaching a 16U team and be the midget hockey director uh, and extremely, extremely excited. This is not only a pretty cool move for me hockey-wise with all the things we have going on out here, but also um, just a huge life decision for my wife and I. Uh, I grew up in Chicago. All my family is out here. Uh, we are renting a house for a little bit, and it's 10 minutes from my sister and her her kids, 10 minutes from my parents, and uh, you know, with two little ones and and another one on the way coming in August. There will be no substitute for having some family around uh, for that. So uh, thank you, thank you, thank you to everybody who has reached out. There's been so many people that reached out too, which is actually kind of cool because with this, like we didn't say anything on social media or anything like that. We just talked about it on the podcast and the amount of people that reached out from people at the NHL levels all the way to like hockey parents uh, that we've dealt with and interacted with. It's just really cool to hear how many of those people just listen to the to the podcast and, and enjoy it. So uh, very, very much appreciate everybody reaching out and uh, Vex and I are very excited to be a little bit closer together so we can do some fun stuff with this uh, actually in person too. Dude, I am so jacked up. It's insane. Yeah. Your, your tweet you put out today, a couple people messaged me. He's like, wait, did Tove take a job in Chicago? And I was like, maybe, <laughs> man, I am, I am so excited because you know, everybody gets to hear our voices and listen to this weekly and we get to see each other via, via zoom and Skype. But you know, the amount of time that I've been to see, able to see you in person, honestly, since I lived with you when I was 16 and you were 16, but we're the same age, uh, duh, Jeff, uh, <laughs> since, since we, uh, were 16, honestly, like the only time we really got to see each other was like Christmas. And then during the off season, we were in college, you know, we were both staying at our schools, working out there, like haven't really gotten to see you that often. So I'm, I'm really excited for this. And 
Uh, I definitely 100% will come be coming down to Chicago to do some live in-person uh, podcasts. And I'm sure you'll be reciprocating coming to STL and that'll be super fun. I'm really excited. Who should we get for our first live podcast with someone that's not our family? I don't know. Somebody in St. Louis or Chicago. Oh, we can get some good ones for sure. Let's uh, let's uh, for all the listeners out there, shoot us a DM or put it on social media. Who should we get for our first? I have a few ideas. (laughs) Actually, somebody actually said to me today, they texted uh, to say congrats, said we had to get Uncle Tim for the first live interview. So uh, if you haven't listened to our interview with Uncle Tim, you need to. (laughs) Because that was a fun one. Most honestly, most feedback, both positive and negative in our history's podcast from our uncle Tim's episode. He's got a, I would say maybe old school mentality when it comes to youth hockey development, especially at the younger ages. And so that was a fun one. So somebody said uncle Tim, but uh, if you think uncle Tim, let us know. If you think other people let us know. I think uncle Tim would be glorious and that would be a glorious one to put on YouTube because he gets so rattled and we, and and we, I should say, he's very passionate, as are we. And he has a completely different view than us. Not saying one is right or one is wrong, or that we're right, or that we're right, or, or that we're right. But it'd be fun to put on YouTube. That would be fun. <laughs> that would be very, very fun and hilarious. Um, so, like I said, thank you, everybody, for reaching out. Uh, I very much appreciate it. And my wife does, too. And uh, I'm really, really looking forward to getting things going out here um, we're making the move next week fully. I'm actually in Chicago right now. Took a trailer out, a first trailer, storing a bunch of stuff at my parents' place uh, before we move into our place. And uh, yeah, just just extremely grateful and excited about that. So uh, first wanted to say thank you. Uh, before we get into our stuff, we also have some sponsors to thank. So we want to thank Gel Sticks, our title sponsor. Go to gelstx.com and enter the coupon code thinktank one word to get a discount on some awesome, awesome, awesome training aid sticks. Jeff uses them in the gym. Pro teams use them. Junior teams use them uh, for shooting either on the ice or on the driveway in the basement. If you got a shooting room, wherever. So awesome, awesome stuff from gel sticks. We want to thank train heroic Vex's training app that he uses his train with me and many, many other training programs to help the online community out. And so if you're looking for a very, very, very ridiculously, ridiculously low cost, and I'm not going to say cheap because it's an awesome product, but a very low cost awesome product to get your butt in shape uh, or train for hockey or whatever sport that you're playing. Uh, go to Train Heroic, download the app and look for Jeff's workouts. And also thank you to IceHockeySystems.com. They are awesome. And we are going to be coming out. We have some announcements with them that will be coming out in the next couple of weeks, but they're a fantastic resource for anybody and everybody looking to put on practice plans, looking to share your practice plans with your players. They just make it so easy for any coach or hockey director out there to make your coaches and make your kids better. So thank you to icehockeysystems.com for supporting our podcast as well. And thank you to Blue Wire, which is the podcast company that we are under now. And we've been able to do already some pretty cool things uh, with them. They have some amazing um, sports podcasts under their platform and very grateful to, for their support as well. So um, Jeff, very, very grateful for all the support from all these people. I love a good supporter. 
<laughs> that was As a do joke. I. I thought it, I thought it would be better. You know what, guys? Didn't land. I'm sorry. It didn't <laughs> land. You know, something you can't win them all. Sorry about that. One. That is quite okay. All right, let's get into this. You want to get into this? Hype. All right, so. This is like kind of calling this reflections of a hockey director. And uh, it's amazing because it's one of those. And I think this like is true for all professions or jobs or anything that you're doing. You don't really understand what the job entails until you do it and you're in the trenches. And if hockey directors have different responsibilities based on the level that you're doing, whether it's tier one, tier two, tier three, um, based on where you live, things in New York are different than things in St. Louis that are different from things in Chicago and, and all that kind of stuff. So as much as I, it's one of the things when I took over this, this role, I really wanted to do a lot of research and talk to a lot of people that have been in those positions and talk to the people within my organization about the things that were going on that needed to be fixed or the things that were going well. Um, but you really, <laughs> you get punched in the face pretty quick in taking it over because it just, that, that experience is everything. And, uh, and like I said, you, you don't really realize what the issues are. You don't really realize what the job entails until you're doing it. So, um, as much as I tried to prepare myself for the, the role, um, it's, it's definitely something you learn a lot on the fly as I'm sure you've learned being in youth hockey as well, huh? Absolutely. And I was uh, I was super excited for this whole thing to happen for this exact episode. Like <laughs> I wanted to see how you doing things, you know, differently. And, you know, I, I know that you had some pushback a few years ago when you were coaching with, you know, things you were implementing um, that everyone is talking about. But, you know, parents seem to be like, oh, yeah, we want that. We want the development. And then when you start to focus on development, maybe you lose a couple games. Everyone's like starts ripping their hair out. Like, no, 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 like, calm down. It's okay. So I was very excited for this specific episode, this entire season. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, I have a lot to say. <laughs> I have a lot to say when it comes to it. I'm sure it's funny. I, I would imagine there's going to be a handful of people that when they see that this podcast is reflections of a hockey director that are going to be a little bit nervous of what I'm going to say. Um, there's certainly some people that I had differences of opinion with as we went through this. I, I would say overall, you know, it, it was a crazy year with COVID. So it's just a different time. So I, I think for all hockey directors and coaches out there, there, we just had to do things differently this year. So some of the stuff we wanted to do, some of the stuff we wanted to implement, we weren't necessarily able to, I, I, that is a little bit of an excuse. There's no question. I'll talk about that as we go through, but um, it, it was just an interesting year, uh, a very good learning experience for me. Um, and I think it's good to talk about because it, I almost feel like this is going to be a little bit of event session, but also uh, like for me, I hope that from this episode, reach out to me with things, whether you're a parent, whether you're a hockey director yourself, whether you're a youth hockey coach with maybe, because I have, I still have questions. I'm not coming out of this experience thinking I know everything because I know that I don't and things are always changing and, and things like that. So I really hope that a lot of people that listen to this reach out to me and maybe have some answers for some of the questions that I still have can maybe empathize with some of the situations that we had to go through this year and give me some advice uh, and, and 
stuff. So I hope there's a lot of back and forth with a lot of our listeners from this too, because I learned a ton this year, but I still know that there's a lot to learn uh, when it comes to doing this. And I'm going to continue to do this here in, uh, in Chicago as well. I think um, one of the biggest things that I wanted to start this off with, and this is something I struggle with, not even necessarily in this youth hockey racket, but it's something that I kind of struggle with in, in real life. And that's this notion of idealism versus reality. You know what I mean by idealism versus reality? Like I'm somebody that very much lives in the idealistic wor- world. That's just the way I was raised from my parents. I'm a five foot four kid from Chicago that was always told like, you know, the whole, if you dream it, you can do it. If you put, if you put enough time and effort into something, you can achieve whatever it is that you want. And so that's how I grew up. I would not have gotten to where I've gotten to without that sense of just really believing in idealism and no barriers. And I can do whatever I set my mind to. Now with that, I didn't play in the NHL. I didn't play in the AHL, (laughs) you know? So as hard as I worked, that wasn't going to happen. And so I, I think that that's something that I've taken as a lesson in this hockey director role is that I have these ideas of these things that I wanted to do. I have this idea of how I think hockey should be, but there's a realism and a realistic view of what hockey is at the youth levels right now where that clashes. And so it's, I heard a great line. It was from Eric Lang, who's the head coach at AIC, who's phenomenal. We actually need to get him on the podcast. Um, And they were talking about um, recruiting and how it's going to be a lot different with the transfer portal and everything that's kind of shifting in the college hockey recruiting world right now. And it was, his line was basically like, I'm not going to complain about it. Like, are there things that aren't good for AIC? Yeah, but adapt or die. You have to adapt or you're not going to succeed. So why focus on the negative of things, but just adapt and do things a little bit differently. And so that's, that's a lot of the approach that I'm taking in youth hockey now in that is youth hockey much more professionalized that I, that I want it to be absolutely a hundred percent. I'm not going to fix that, but what are some things that I can do moving forward? Is there a ton of merit to the community-based model? You look at Minnesota, you look at these other places, absolutely, 100%. Realistically, there, there's a realism to AAA, and not even just AAA, but Tier 2 AA hockey, where the community model is not something that is really happening right now in a lot of other places in the U.S. and Canada. So there's these idealistic views that I have of what hockey I feel like should be. And then there's a realism of what youth hockey is today. So does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. I, w- would you say you learned from the, that, like your dichotomy that's going on that you're dealing with? Do you think that it's best to look at the situation and go, this is ideally how I'd want to do it? here's the framework that we actually have. Now, how can we get as close to my ideal, you know, setup or whatever workings or, you know, however that is like, is that how you went about it? Or is that how you've learned to go about it? Or like, for sure. Yes. I think a hundred percent. Yes. And the one thing that I've learned is that like you, you can't get a hundred percent of everything that you're looking to do. You can try, but there's a reality in the world that maybe those things aren't feasible, at least not for right now. Maybe if you continue to chip away and chip away and chip away, you can get to that spot in, in taking a more longer term view. But, um, and, and another thing is, is like what your 
idealism is, isn't the same as somebody else's. And I had a really hard time when I first took this job and trying to, trying to talk to people about what I felt like the right way of doing things were. And I thought that that was, I don't want to say the only way, but I'm very morally and ethically driven. And so some of these things that other people were doing, I was like, that's not morally or ethically driven. And so I would get really mad, you know, and, and I would get upset because I'm like, this isn't good for youth hockey. These people are ruining youth hockey. And, and I would legitimately get very stressed and very upset with some of the decisions that people were making. Now I don't sit in their shoes just like they don't sit in my shoes. I have a different way of of having experiences. They have different way of having experiences. I don't have kids involved. Other people have kids involved. And so one of the biggest things that I learned is like, your way is not the only way to do things as morally and ethically. You think you're better than what the other people are doing. They, most people, I would say, even if they are doing things that you don't think are morally or ethically sound, they think they are, you know what I mean? And so rather than getting upset with that, it's okay, try and learn where they're coming from. And at first, with some of the things that happened, I was just pissed. Like I said, just absolutely pissed. And then you step back and you think about it and you talk and, and, and it's just like, okay, um, I don't necessarily think that these people are doing things just to benefit them and it's not going to benefit the kids just to line their pockets or just for their own ego or greed or whatever. Um, what I would say is not doing something right for the kids. Maybe somebody else, their opinion is that's what they are doing for kids is right. I, does that make sense? Yeah. So a, do you have any examples and B co- commentary? You were leading the ship. So did you go about getting them on your side? Did you uh, butt heads with them and nothing changed? Like kind of what were the outcomes? But first, like, do you have any examples? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, the biggest example is, so there's a team in our area um, and it's an 18U team and it's kind of like a prep school all-star team, right? So it's a prep school all-star team. So they have some kids from the area, maybe 40% of the kids on the team is actually from the Syracuse Rochester area. And the others are just kids from prep schools. Um, And so for me, I'm like this, this team is everything that's wrong with youth hockey. Why not have an 18 U team of kids just from around here? You know what I mean? Like why do that? And so that was my thinking, but you talk to the coach and you actually see the work that he puts into that team. Like he's like, they don't practice, which I have an issue with, but sometimes circumstances don't allow for that um, with the way that they built the team and they just won the national championship. And I'm sure that those kids, some of them got seen in nationals and some of those kids based on their play in nationals are going to advance to get college scholarships. You know, so while it goes against a lot of what I believe in about hockey development, the kids don't practice and, you know, it's just an all-star team put together and goes against the whole development thing that we're trying to preach at the hockey think tank. He's also helping these kids that he has to advance in their hockey careers. So I think that's kind of like the perfect example of where I'm coming from, because what we preach all the time, development, 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 like there's not a whole heck of a lot of development going on with that team, but he's providing something for these kids where gets a lot of good kids together and 
they won the national championship a few days ago and some of their kids are going to, because of their play advance to higher levels. So I can't say that that's wrong. It's probably different from what I believe in, but it's not wrong. Like we live in a world that's binary and it's way too binary. It's right or it's wrong. There's no in between. You're a Republican or you're a Democrat. You believe in this or you believe in that. And I just like, you can't think like that. And so I feel like I kind of went from that thinking of youth hockey to now being much more um, malleable to other opinions and other way of doing things. I love that. I absolutely love that. I put something on Instagram like a week ago, probably, or this weekend, I think, <clears throat> about toxic tribalism and yeah. just how I think that that's hurting our whole country in every facet. Like everything is divided. It's black and white. There's no gray and everything has shades of gray, everything. And I think that's probably something too, that we're learning as we get older. We, we don't lose our idealism, but, and I, and like Mike Boyle says too, though, like Mike Boyle, who we've had on the podcast, unbelievable episode. If you guys are newer and you haven't heard that one of my, you know, guys I look up to in the strength and conditioning world, um, he's constantly talking about like, well, yeah, I'm going to stand up for what I believe in because if I didn't, why would I be doing it if I don't believe in it? So there's a little bit of that, but then also like you're talking about, like not every circumstance can be ideal. Not every life happens. Things happen. Kids might be three hours away from the nearest team. Okay. Well then they need to play on a team like that. Cause they don't even have a triple a team in their city. So like I totally get what you're saying. And, and I think the less we can be all in one camp in everything in our lives, and pick, you know, you could be on a side, whatever, but also being open-minded to, oh, let's pick the best from what this person's doing, what this person's doing, what this, and let's add it to ours so that my, maybe it's not what I initially set out as my ideal program, my ideal team setting, my ideal this, my ideal that. Well, now I'm making the best of my situation and I'm pulling from the best of other people around me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and, and again, you don't have to agree with everything that other people do, but they're trying to do their best for the, like at the, it's not for the kids, but maybe it is for the kids. And maybe just because they're doing something differently, doesn't mean they're not doing it for the kids. And that's where I get, like, I get the most upset about what I see in the youth hockey world is when it's about the adult ego. Like that's, that really gets me going. I know that's what gets you going too, but rather than, um, and, and for me, this is a lot like rather than judging people, what you see on the outside, of their own doing things for their own ego. Like you should probably educate yourself on what they're doing first, because that's all you hear from youth hockey directors and youth hockey coaches is their programs, the best and everybody else sucks. That's really what it is. I mean, that's another thing I learned is that youth hockey is much more about recruiting the best teams than it is about actually developing hockey players. Like that is a fact. And that is not just at the triple a level that filters down to the tier two double a level too. Like I'm looking at, I'm looking at in Chicago now their, their double a league. It's there's an elite at the end of it and they're trying to form these leagues and, you know, position them. It's just a, it's a gong show, you know? Um, so that's another thing. Do you see that too? Like it's a lot of, it's a lot more recruiting than it is freaking development. Yes, because it's about adults who want to make money like <laughs> instead of kids. And like we've said a billion times on this podcast, I make money in hockey from youth players all the way up to professionals. But first and foremost, my goal is to serve the players and make, help them become the best 
self they can possibly be. And I also, I mean, this is, you know, you, you charge whatever you want. I also could be charging four times what I charge and I don't because my goal is to help try and help as many people as I can. And I think the problem with that thing that you're talking about, the putting the elite at everything and this and that is the people at the top trying to make a bunch of money and, you know, great marketing. Then, then you're losing. I mean, yeah, it's great <laughs> marketers donkeys. I mean, you, you just lose everything that is sacred about the sport and all of these lessons and values that we can be using to teach our children to be better people, better humans, better everything. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, again, it kind of goes back to it too, but kind of on the other side, like if you ask, there are, I'm sure there are people and, and I'm sure listeners when they hear this can empathize with this. There are people where you look at what they're doing you say, they're not doing it for the kids. They're not. But if you haven't had a conversation, I will say if you haven't had a conversation with that person, or gotten to know a little bit more of what they're doing or talked to the people who have actually played for that person or whatever, like don't just throw out that generalization on somebody because they're doing something differently than you. You know what I mean? So like, I, I do think that that's a caveat to that. Are there people out there to make a buck? A hundred percent, 150,000 percent. But I guess just don't be so quick to judge that. Um, you'll be a lot more mentally sound for your own mental health if you if you feel like that i i they work for me anyway i think that's just judging in general uh you know and what what is that saying uh, we said it on the podcast multiple times comparison is the thief of joy you know i mean you can you can look at others for inspiration or what to do or what not to do but comparing you know the only person you need to compare yourself to is your team, yourself, the man in the mirror, the woman in the mirror. And uh, as cliche as it might sound, like, you know, all of the best athletes that we've had on this podcast all say the same thing. You know, you're comparing yourself to yourself yesterday, to yourself a week ago, to yourself tomorrow. That's what matters. No one else. It's only you. Only you. What's that song? <laughs> Isn't that Elvis or not? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay. Anyway, so that was, that was one thing. So I feel like a good thing to kind of get this rolling is talk about a little bit of a timeline of how things happened, um, in, in taking over this role, I think, and I don't know what month it was, maybe it was January. It was before COVID definitely. Um, but I had just, and this happens every year. You have a bunch of people in your area that reach out to you. I don't know what to do with my kid next year. What do I do with my kid next year? There's not a really good option around here. I don't necessarily want to send my kid away. Like what, I just need some advice on what to do. And this was more specifically at the older levels um, because prep school is a big thing out, out East um, in, you know, probably New York in East. And so I had a bunch of families that were like, Hey, it seems like prep school is the only option. I don't know if I can afford to send my kid to prep school, or I don't know if my kid wants to go to prep school yet. So I, like, what should I do? And, and basically I was like, I don't know. <laughs> like I don't have, there's not a great option out here for you. So I had a lot of people coming up and, and asking. And so there's an organization the one that I work for the Syracuse nationals that needed a little bit of a, it just a little bit of a change, a little bit of a change in direction. And I'm not that person. And I'm, what I mean by this is not coming. I hope it doesn't come off this way. Like I hate the people that make an excuse before they already, you know, say something went wrong, <laughs> you know, like I'm not doing that at 
all. But this organization just needed it needed a little bit of a change. And I had talked to their president for a couple of years, just hockey stuff, a um, bunch of different things. Um, we tried to do a few things in the past, and he was just kind of like a sounding board for me. I was kind of a sounding board for him. And 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 I saw this a bunch of people coming up and asking me, "Hey, I don't I don't really feel like there's a great option. What do we do?" And then so I went to him, and I was thinking, you know what? We talk about a lot of this stuff. We talk about youth hockey all the time. We talk about what we believe in. And this is a great opportunity to actually do this stuff, like almost like put your money where your mouth is and do the things that, that we believe in and just see if it works, right? Like see how it goes. And so I, I approached the president. I said, Hey, like a bunch of kids that are looking for a place to go. Um, this is an opportunity for us to kind of do what we talk about on the podcast and, and, you know, actually affect some change. And then maybe we can talk about our experiences and I can write about our experience that can maybe help out some other hockey directors or some other parents or some other coaches as I go and learn through this process. And he was like, great. I think that sounds awesome. We actually had, and I think I even announced it. We had this, uh, you know, idea that, Hey, we, we can even rebrand, rebrand the organization to the hockey think tank. And that will be what the teams would be called. And so we kind of set off to, to kind of do that as well. And then COVID hit (laughs) and then COVID hit. And it was like, okay, um, we don't know. There's so much uncertainty with COVID right now. We have no idea where this is going. This is in, right. This is in like March, April when COVID was still kind of new. And so then we eventually were like, okay, let's not change the name and change everything just as of yet. Let's provide a little bit of stability here <laughs> in in this world that we're going into that we just have no idea, you know, what is going on. Um, right. So we just kind of put some things into motion to to kind of change the culture of the organization and and do a lot again, like a lot of the stuff that we believe in. Like let's get the the kids from around here and put them all in a team. You know, let's not recruit from other places and let's try to just focus on development. Like that's all we want to do. Focus on development in the, in the East and, and, you know, typically everywhere else. It's so focused on the all-star teams. It's so focused on the recruiting with prep schools and now the academies and all the stuff going on. Let's, let's just talk about development. That's all we talk about in our recruiting pitches. Let's all talk about with the families um, is, is that. And so we, went through and kind of enacted it. And I was going to be the 18U coach, uh, Ken Klee, who is played however many years in the NHL, 15 years in the NHL, coached the women's national team, was going to be the 15U coach. He had a kid at that level. And then we were going to bring in Jay Sprague, won a national championship at, uh, at Michigan State. He was a former teammate of mine in junior hockey, um, was going to come in and be our 16U coach. And then we were filling in spots at the, at the younger ages as, as well. Um, COVID hits and then it just kind of everything went up in the air um you know jay couldn't get he's a canadian citizen and he couldn't get over the border because the border was shut down so we had to find a new coach at the 16 new level and then kenny Clee's team half of his kids ended up leaving to go to another organization for reasons that i don't really understand um so he was like i can't coach this we don't have enough kids so he went and took his kid back to colorado which is where their family is and they actually went to the national championship game at the 16U level, which is kind of crazy. His kid's at 15U, but he's a great coach. Um, so I went from having the midget stuff really kind of figured out um, to not having a 16U coach, not having a 15U coach, um, and then trying to fill in for the younger teams in our organization uh, as well. So it was just, 
it was really kind of crazy, um, really kind of crazy. So at the 15U, 16U level, rather than just trying to fill teams that weren't really going to be AAA teams, we decided to merge to do a 15 slash 16U team and get the kids who were AAA players all on one team. So the practices would be good. And there wasn't the huge disparity in talent level and that the kids can get better. And so um, that was pretty cool. And another thing that I've learned that I don't think grinds my gears necessarily as much as it used to um, is <laughs> in youth hockey, most people, a majority of the people have a kid involved in youth hockey <laughs> and, and seeing the stresses that people that don't have kids involved that they go through to be a part of it. I can understand why they're like, why would I get involved in this? And you remember um, when you and I had that uh, conversation with a bunch of the ADM guys, uh, what was that a year ago or something like that? And they told us, they said, told a lot of people get into youth hockey that don't have a kid involved that are coming from the junior level or the college level, or even the pro level. Um, once they're out of there and they get into youth hockey for one year and they're like, Nope, I'm good. Never mind, No, thanks. <laughs> and a lot of the reason why is because, you know, people with skin in the game and I say skin in the game, that means you have a kid involved, um, they hold a lot of sway into what goes on. And I think I used to get really upset with people making decisions that were just going to benefit their own kid. And again, I'm somebody that looks at what happens as a whole. So sometimes when people make decisions that are going to benefit their, their kid, it really hurts a lot of other kids. It really does. And whether they don't care, whether they don't see it because they're only looking at it from their own family point of view, I, I don't know. But everybody does it in youth hockey. <laughs> you know, like everybody's making decisions that are going to benefit their kid. And so where before I would get really upset about that, it's just it's just the nature of the beast. You know what I mean? Like, does that make sense? Yeah, I totally understand what you're saying. Um, the biggest thing I, I think on that issue is, if you're someone that's in a position of power, whether that's a coach or the head of an organization or um, someone on the board, like then I think that your decisions probably need to be influenced what are best for everyone on the whole, everyone's kids. But looking at from instead, like you said, instead of a 10,000 foot view and more of a 10 foot view is the role of a parent. And I do believe the role of the parent is to do what is best for their child personally. So again, there's kind of that, you know, there's shades of gray there. Like I think that depending on what role you're in depends on what lens you're looking through. Sometimes that's gotta be what is best for my child. Um, obviously not at the detriment of others from like a physical or mental harm standpoint, obviously. But you know, if that means leaving a certain area or doing this or doing that, what's best for the kid, maybe that hurts a team. A team is not as good because their best player leaves. Well, if that's what's best for the best player, I think that makes sense. But you know, the, from the organization standpoint, the 10,000 foot view, I think if you're some a decision maker and you're making decisions based on your organization and hundreds of kids or teams of kids, you need to do what's best for all the kids as a whole versus just little Johnny who's nasty. I don't know. That's what I think. Yeah. I think you bring up a pretty good point. This is something that's really kind of crazy in youth hockey too. And that is, <laughs> I feel like, uh, so let's say you have a team of, of 20 players. I feel like there's 20% of the parents of those players are gung ho. Like, let's play a million games. My kids got to play college hockey at 12 years old. Like we're going to go to every tournament that we can and 
let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. Then you have 25% of the players or the parents of the players that are like, youth hockey is insane. This is absolutely nuts. We should not be practicing this much. <laughs> you know, we should not be doing all this kind of thing. This, this, this is just absolutely crazy. Um, what has gotten into this world? And then you have like the other 50% that's kind of in between who's kind of like, yeah, we can kind of see that this is pretty crazy, but yeah, we also kind of see that being a little bit crazy is going to help my kid and my kid's going to get better and all of this kind of stuff. And I feel like, do you see that with, with parents? I feel like there's just some that are nuts, some that are like, this is way too nuts and we need to, you know, all not leave home and we need to all practice once a week and play multiple sports all year and blah, 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 blah. And then you have the 50 that are kind of in between, you know, do you see that? Without a doubt, no, no doubt in my mind. And, but the funniest ones to me, I'm not going to lie. And if this is you listening, like hopefully you can look in the mirror and laugh are the people that go, Oh my God, this is so nuts, but they are the most nuts. Those <laughs> are the people that make me laugh the most. And some of you listening, I bet you're laughing as you're driving or listening to this thinking, Hey, he's probably talking about me at least self-reflect. <laughs> so true. Yeah, that's. I think we've said this on earlier episodes where like parents will come up to talk to you, and the first thing that they'll say is, "I'm not this parent, comma, but da 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 da. I'm not the crazy hockey parent, but blah blah blah." <laughs> Every time, right? I get that text weekly from yeah. clients' parents who are younger. Hey, I'm not the crazy hockey mom, or hey, I'm not the crazy ho- hockey dad, but then they say something crazy. <laughs> It is. It's so funny. And, and kind of with that, you talk about like, you know, the parents and the best player leaving. And, and this is where hockey, I think, is going to change a lot. And because it's become so serious and even at the younger ages, I think this is going to be a really big issue moving forward, um, especially as kids get to like kind of Bantams or, or above. And I'm sure the double A programs have dealt with this forever when it comes to triple A hockey. But if you're top two players, if your top player, if your top three players ends up leaving a team, the rest of the parents lose it because now it's like, oh my gosh, we're not going to be very good next year. I need my kid to be on a good team for my kid to get seen or my kid to get better or whatever. And so then there becomes this rat race where now there's all of these options, or maybe not all of these options, but there's more options for these kind of like weekend all-star teams is what I call them, where it's about that. that so, so now the parents are like, okay, this team is not going to be very good anymore. I need to just find the best team that's going to be the highest ranked on my hockey ranking so my kid is in a position where they're going to get seen. Uh, and I feel like that's, that's happening more and more. I saw it a lot this year where you know, the parents were like, Hey, we really like, this is, this is something that I got all the time. I heard this feedback from parents at all levels. You like at the youngest, all the way up to the top of, in our organization was like, Hey, look, we really believe in what you're doing. We really think this is a great thing, but the teams aren't going to be good enough. And so we can't play for you. I'm sorry. So they go to prep school or they go to one of these weekend all-star teams. And it's like, well, uh, and you can't fight, you try to fight it as best as you can. And, and you try and preach, Hey, like, even if they're on these teams, if they're not getting better, it's not going to benefit them. They have to still get better. Like, yeah, there has to be exposure. Your kids has to be seen when you're a midget, not in Bantams or below. Um, 
but they st- even went even in junior hockey kids got to get better if they want to make the next level in college hockey if the kids want to get better they, or if the kids want to get to the next level they have to get better and and i just hope that as parents are figuring out what they want to do for their kids, even when maybe the top two players leave from their team. And now it's like, okay, what do we do now? It's like, find the coach that's going to make your kid better. Please, for the love of God, do that. (laughs) I mean, it's not like we're saying anything new here. A, I don't know what episode we're on now, 8 billion. Um, But like we've been saying this since day one, every NHL superstar we've had on saying it since day one, every Pro hockey player, saying this since day one, college hockey player, junior hockey player, everyone who reaches the highest levels says this over and over and over. But for some reason, there's some kind of like gap that when that sentence comes out, parents, you know, cover their ears. And, you know, I look at it as as an opportunity. Obviously, if your top two lines leave and your team is going to be absolutely atrocious, you're going to lose every game. Okay, maybe not the best play. But at the same time, if the coach is the best coach in the state, maybe a great play. I look at at it also as opportunity. All right, that best player left. Well, my son plays on that line. He's going to get the puck touch. He's going to puck touch more. Uh, he's going to run the power play now, whereas before he was just the guy in front where he was doing this or he was doing that. Like You also have to think about opportunity. And just because your team doesn't win doesn't mean you're not getting better. I just thought of the mighty ducks where if, if you're not, it's not worth winning if you can't win big. So that's like what these parents are thinking. Like, and look what <laughs> happens. This is a historical fact. Emilio Estevez takes district five who turns in the mighty ducks and they wind up beating the Hawks. Gordon Bombay. Gordon Bombay. Flying mighty duck man himself. <laughs> they did it by clearing out the trash in front of the net. Uh, no, that was D three. That was D three. You're right. That was Coach Orion. <laughs> I actually watched that with my brother Max the other day. <laughs> oh, phenomenal. Well, D3 is the worst of the three, in my opinion. But It's still good, though. Still good. There's no D1 or D2. I yeah. mean, D2, why wouldn't Team USA have a quick street hockey game against a bunch of guys who don't play hockey uh, in between games against, you know, in the national tournament? And then take uh, one of those kids on their team because <laughs> a knuckle puck. Russ Tyler. <laughs> who's now like the most famous person on Saturday night live anyway. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mighty ducks, by the way, have you seen any of the new mighty ducks that are out? I have this combo in the gym actually probably this morning. I don't know. My days are so long. It was either yesterday or today. And uh, my thoughts are this. It's definitely made for little kids, but if I watch mighty ducks today, I absolutely love it. But I also have that sense of nostalgia and rem- felt like to go see it in the movie theater and all that stuff. So maybe the kids of today think the mighty duck, the new mighty ducks is cool. I don't know. I don't want to bag on it. I love anything that's growing the game of hockey, but uh, for me, it's, it's a little young. Yeah. I, you know, what the best part about it is like, you know, the hockey scenes and like miracle, how they're all like hockey players and it's actually like good hockey and how like the mighty ducks movies, it was completely the opposite. And like the plays made no sense uh, you know, a person can, you know, do a Gretzky curl at the blue line. And then all of a sudden somebody has a puck below the goal line and he hadn't even passed the puck. It just it's stupid things like that. You know, it's, it's the same in the new mighty ducks, like the hockey plays make no sense and the players can barely skate. So the camera's on them for maybe three seconds or not even three seconds, maybe one second because you can't really show their stride very much because they can't really skate. I just love how they kept that. 
I hate that. Um, I, I absolutely hate that. Muncie and I, who has been on this podcast, one of our good buddies we both played with throughout our career, uh, we would always count how many times they'd go over the blue line. Like they'd be coming <laughs> on in the zone. Play. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, on one play. It's like, all right, there's the near blue line. All right, there's a near blue line again. There's the far blue line. Oh, wait, he's back at the near blue line, but he's moving forward the entire time. Oh, yeah, but that's kind of like the allure legs. of it, though. But yeah, that's kind no. of like why it's so great. Yeah, it's so good. that It's so bad that it's good. You're yeah. Right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. But there's gray, right? It's not one or the other. There's there's merits to both. Let's not be tribalism. Let's not, <laughs> let's not be tribalist. Um, okay. So another thing that I think would be good to bring up is um, I, I felt like it'd be good to kind of talk about some of the things that we did that went well. Maybe some of the things that we did that maybe didn't go as well. Um, and then like just some of the lessons that I learned from, from doing this, um, which we want to start with things we did well or things we didn't do so well. I always like to end on a positive note. So let's go not well first. So, okay. So I think that um, one of the things that I hear in terms of feedback from a lot of parents is there was a lot of talk, but not a lot of action on what youth organizations do. So you get promised all these things or the coaches or the hockey directors say that all of this stuff is going to happen. And then the follow through doesn't really happen. I feel like that's a big, do you hear that from parents too? Yeah, of course. All the time. (laughs) Okay. So, you know, we had some big ideas of things that we wanted to do. um, And then COVID hit. And I, I mentioned it a little bit earlier where there were definitely some things that we wanted to do that we just flat out couldn't because of rink protocols because of COVID. But I don't think I did a good enough job as the hockey director in finding creative solutions to still kind of do those things um, rather than just not doing those things. So I'll give you a couple of examples. So one is I really wanted to help be a resource for all the coaches. And so I wanted a lot of coach sharing. So a coach will go out and run a practice for a different team. And that coach would run a practice for your team. You know, different coaches can go out with other teams and just kind of learn from them. We would do like a month, one Monday a month where we'd all get together and, you know, do presentations. It's just kind of like a coaching development thing. Um, there were protocols put in place at the rink for however many months during COVID where you can only be on the ice with your team. Because if somebody on your team got COVID, but you were on the ice with a different team, then both teams would have to quarantine for 14 days. And so we didn't want to do that. Um, Obviously, we couldn't all get into a room to do a day of coaching development and things like that. So a big part of what I want to do as hockey director is that coaching development thing. And so when COVID hit, I, I didn't pivot enough and I didn't provide enough structure or support for our coaches where we could still do that stuff. So maybe we just hopped on zoom, you know what I mean? Um, or done something else to, to provide resources for our coaches. And I just, I didn't do that. And I didn't use COVID as, as, as an excuse. Um, but I like COVID presented obstacles and I didn't do a good enough job of finding ways around those obstacles for, um, for the coaches. So that was one thing. Uh, another thing is one of the biggest things that I wanted to do was that mentorship program. And I talked to you about this where we would pair teams up and, you know, you do certain things at the rink, do competitions. Um, each kid would be paired off with another kid 
and you know they would kind of be like their buddy at the rink we would do things where kids from uh, a, a team from a younger level would be able to practice with the older level to see what that level was about and you'd have kids from the older team that could come down and, and practice and almost be like a quasi coach for a younger team and do that so COVID presented problems with that as well because we couldn't um, have that many kids on the ice at a time. We weren't cross pollinating teams. Um, but I wasn't, I just kind of was like, ah, we probably just can't do this this year. Just, we just probably, but we probably could have found a way. I, I was a little bit we weary about doing zoom stuff with older kids and younger kids without parents in the room. Um, but we probably still could have done something. And, and we didn't. So I think the biggest things that I don't think I did well as a hockey director was follow through creatively on some of the things we wanted to do with obstacles that were put in our way. And I'm sure a lot of people can kind of empathize with this, but again, a big, a big problem in our recruiting model of youth hockey today is a lot of things get promised and not a lot of things get delivered. And there were a few things that I felt like we promised that we didn't deliver on as we talked about this stuff. I mean, I, I think this goes back to what we said at the start, ideal, your ideal situation and what you could do, you know, within the actual physical, what is happening in the world and COVID obviously mangled it. I think both of those ideas, the mentorship and the coaching, uh, the coaches getting together are both unbelievable ideas and, and amazing. But like when you get in the real world, all right, Every coach has a different job. Every coach has a different practice time. A lot of coaches have children. And now you put in all these variables and it's like, well, how the hell do we all find a time to meet? How do half of us find a time to meet? Like, and, and okay, yeah, you could say you're making excuses, but like sometimes real world stuff, it's not excuses. That's just what you have to deal with. Uh, and the mentorship thing. I mean, I remember when you told me that idea before you started this whole thing. And I was like, that is one of the coolest ideas I have ever heard. And, uh, you know, I, I told some of the coaches in our organization, I was like, man, I would love if we started doing this. I think it's good for so many reasons on so many levels for players, for coaches, for everyone, for parents, everyone. But, you know, I also think that you can't beat yourself up. This was the most not unorthodox. No year has ever been like this year <laughs> for anyone alive. Like this, this isn't a thing what happened. And, you know, all of the different variables that came with it. So at the same time, like you also can't beat yourself up. You, you can't control the environment. Yeah. Yeah. But there's always, you can always reflect and think about things you would have done differently or things you would have done better. And, and that for me are, are two things that I wish I would have done a better job with, because again, you can still find ways to do things even if you can't do them exactly the way that you wanted to do it. So um, those are a couple of things that I don't think we did necessarily well. Uh, things I think we did pretty well. Number one, the rink stayed open. Our rink stayed open this whole time. And we can't say that about other rinks in our area. And so we were pretty like we, we stuck to protocols pretty good and made sure. And I made some decisions that were pretty unpopular like to be honest with some people about not allowing teams to travel on a few different weekends. Um, and, and I look, we live in New York. New York is like the worst state when it comes to people cracking down on, on COVID and things like that. And, and a really unique thing about our organization is our organization actually owns the rink that we play out of. So 
um, let's say you're just a tenant, like you go out and you travel and your team gets COVID it's like, I'm not going to say that's not that big of a deal, but it's not as big of a deal as if our teams go out and let's say they end up getting COVID and they bring that back into New York state. And now our organization is tied in with our rink. So if we get in trouble as an organization, they might shut our rink down. So we kind of had to take that approach. Um, <laughs> it's a funny story actually, but, uh, there was, there was a parent this is a funny parent story that wrote me an email about the terrible job that I was doing as a hockey director because one weekend I said, hey, let's not travel. It was like a weekend in September or October or something. And this was when we still didn't really know about COVID and they were really cracking down on things in our state. And I said, hey, look, it's in the organization's best interest if we just sit this one out. And so I had a parent that emailed me. I'll send you the email. It was hilarious. Just about I'm a dictator and like the kids' mental health and, and all of this kind of stuff. And, and it was just, for me, it was a little bit over the line. Like I'm okay getting negative feedback. Like you can tell me if you have issues, but number one, you can tell it to my face. Like let's have a zoom call or like call me on the phone and we can discuss it. Um, but it was like one of those, it's an email, you know, and it was this long email, but the, the funniest part about it, and this is where I think parents, this is a lesson for parents. So later that year, I had a prep school coach that called me and said, Hey, there's this kid in your organization whose parents reached out to me. Um, what do you know about him? I said, well, I honestly, I don't really know that much about him. but the dad did send me an email. Do you want me to send that to you? That's kind of the only thing that I know about this kid. And so I sent, sent him the email. <laughs> I forwarded it over to him and the prep school coach. Yep. Okay. We're all good. Thank you very much. And that was it. <laughs> you know? So it's like, and again, I'm not going to lie. It, this is the only information I have on this kid is this email that his dad wrote me. So there you go. I heard he's a good kid. Um, I think he's a pretty good player from what I've been told. Um, but this is what you're dealing with. So, <laughs> you know, kind of funny, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's just, you know, again, that's people looking at things at a 10 foot view versus a 10,000 foot view. You know, you were just trying to do what was best for all of the kids and their safety and their well being. And, and hey, look, we knew a lot less about COVID oh, in September than we do now. You way know, less. and our team owned the rink. And, and my biggest thing was like, okay, we need to do everything that we can to make sure these kids can still come to the rink and pra- like and have something. You know, because there were other rinks in our area and other rinks around the country that had to close down. And you were in New York, the, the one of the tightest states, <laughs> the worst, the worst problem. So if you would have got yeah. a couple of cases, they would have shut your rink down. Yeah. So you were looking at, you know, the short term. Okay, we'll not play this weekend for the long term gain. So the kids would have wouldn't be those kids stuck at home for two or three weeks, like. Or or our rink gets shut down, or our rink gets shut down permanently because our organization runs the rink, you know. Right. And so again, you look at it, you weigh the risk rewards, and 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 you know the risk reward for that one, I thought was what it was, and I would make different decisions now um, in in April May um, than I because we just we know more, Um, and had our kids went and gone and played and nobody got COVID and people came back and it was nothing, then it would have been nothing. But if somebody did go out and get it and brought it back into our state and it spread through our team and, um, or our teams, like that would have been very, very bad. So, but anyway, so we kept our rink open, like 
did the decisions that we made, maybe I would have done some differently. Maybe other people would have done stuff differently. Who knows? But the rink stayed open at the end of the day. Um, another thing that I thought we did pretty well was we set the expectations and we over communicated. I've not, maybe not over communicated, but we communicate with the parents a lot. So we did parents meetings with every single one of our teams before tryouts for the kids that wanted to know what was going on in our organization when it was legally, we were allowed to, <laughs> or it was an open thing that anybody could come to. So we didn't want to break any rules. Um, we did, uh, uh, another meeting with all of the parents after tryouts. So before the season started, these are the expectations. We had them all sign a, a, a parent code of conduct um, and laid out like kind of the behavior of what we wanted from our parents. Um, and then we did another one when COVID hit and, and just discussed just the, the pros and cons of everything. And we just kind of laid out our plan of what we were going to do during COVID. And I think we had very little, uh, just from our coaches' feedback and just from everything that got back to me, we had very little issues with parents this year. So I think that's one thing that I would encourage a lot of other hockey directors to do is be very upfront with the parents and be prepared to talk to them at the beginning a lot so you don't have to talk to them a lot during the year when issues arise because they know what you're going to say already, <laughs> you know? So um, I think that's one thing that we did pretty well. And, and again, I'm sure there were parents that were unhappy with things that were going on um, and maybe they kept it to himself. There's always going to be that and no coach is perfect, no hockey director is perfect, no player is perfect, no parent is perfect. So there's going to be issues. But I think the more you can do at the beginning and up front to set the expectations and set the ground rules. I think that paid a lot of dividends for us in terms of the amount of issues that arose. And then when issues did arise, then there were channels and there were ways to, to go about it for the parents. I love that. And that's something that uh, Mike Barra, who's I've talked about on the podcast quite a bit. He was my head coach the, the two years that I coached uh, my first two years when I retired from playing. And uh, he held multiple meetings throughout the year. And that's a lot of work on a coach. Like that is a lot of work. And parents, I just hope you understand that, that, you know, I don't know how compensation is where you're from. And we've talked about this in the podcast, you know, compensation in St. Louis for AAA hockey coaches, at least with the organization I worked with, I lost so much money. Like I lost over $10,000 coaching and that's on top of what they paid me. <laughs> so like they paid me, and I lost that. And then I'd also lose $10,000 by, by not being able to work as much. Well, I was going to say like from that. you not being in the gym at those right. hours to me. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, I, I used to work on weekends up until the pandemic hit, uh, the, you know, for two and a half years there. And I couldn't work on weekends because we were playing games and all these things. So, um, but anyways, it's a lot of work. So like parents, you also got to know, especially coaches that are coaching AAA level, like three to four nights of practice a week, two to four games on the weekend. Like they're basically living to, to coach hockey. It's wild and, and losing money or barely being compensated. So it is something you also have to factor into, you know, how you approach them and how you talk to them. Cause a lot of them, like it's, it's amazing what they're doing. Um, but like, yeah, like I said, like Mike Barrett, he would do like, we would do beginning of the season meetings. And then I think he did like a halfway meeting and then a meeting at the end. And uh, I thought that was unbelievable. Sit in on those, listen to what he said to parents get feedback from the parents and he'd give feedback to the parents and the players were there, then the players wouldn't be there. So I, th I thought that was awesome. I think that's massively important. And the more feedback that can go both ways, two way street from the, from the families, players and parents and the coaches, two way street of information 
at those meetings, not emails every week or text all the time. I think that that, uh, that can really help. And having those meetings probably also gets rid of some of those unnecessary, you know, craziness where parents are texting coaches all the time when I, they, you know, I don't think they should be. Yeah. And it just kind of shows when you do those kinds of things, it shows that you're working hard for the kids and, and you care. And actually one of the things that for me was kind of a heartwarming, let's call it moment during this season was that weekend where I canceled, uh, I, or I shouldn't say I canceled, but I told our teams, I said, Hey, let's not go this weekend. Let's not play. We probably, we had eight teams in our organization. Um, I think we had maybe six of them that were going to play and it was COVID. So we weren't sure if they were going to play again or when they were going to play again or whatever. And when I said, you know, we're, we're not going to go. Um, I, I said, I'll, I'll do a zoom call at let's say seven o'clock on Friday night. And if you have concerns or if you want to voice your opinion, um, um, I'll, I'll face the music because I knew it was going to be an unpopular decision, but I'm like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to have to face the music here and I'll just tell everybody what I think and why I did it. And they need more clarification, blah, blah, blah. So we end up getting to that Friday night at seven o'clock and we do the zoom meeting and there were a bunch of people on there and it was really cool because most of the people that were there, um, were there to support me like to show, Hey, we think you made the right decision in doing this. And so the first person that actually spoke, that's what he said. And he's a great guy. He said, look, we just, I don't know what anybody else has to say or what's going on, but we just wanted to make sure this is a crazy situation. We know you have the best interest and we thought this was the right decision too. So, um, and then nobody ended up voicing their opinion for the negative, which I don't know if they just, you know, because of the amount of people that were on there saying they supported it, they just didn't want to be that parent, <laughs> you know, um, or, you know, I don't, whatever, but it was, it was cool. And I think it's just because when you're upfront and you communicate and you're a little bit vulnerable saying, Hey, I don't know if this is the right decision. I'm just trying to do what I think is best for, for everybody and for the organization. Um, I think people appreciate that. A hundred percent. I mean, there's no doubt about it. No hockey coach has all the answers. If they did, they'd be coaching in the NHL, probably making millions of dollars. Uh, so to think that a youth hockey coach is going to have all the answers, all of them, and they're gonna, always going to be correct is, is uh, insane and uh, not very logical. And I think that having that kind of community around that is, is massively important. Also, I think that people who didn't say anything, you know, that's like Mike Tyson said, everybody's got a game plan until they get punched in the face. It's like, oh yeah, everybody's tough and we'll say stuff behind somebody's back. But like when it comes to it, you know, they're not always going to say those things, but then they'll write on the message. Yeah. The people who, the people who emailed me, they were on that zoom call because I could see the names of the people and they didn't say anything. Of course they didn't. (laughs) Real tough. tough. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So it was just, uh, yeah, I I just feel like communicating with the parents. And, And when you do that, you get to know the people in your organization too. And, and that's the one thing I think hockey parents in particular, but with how professionalized it gets and how competitive youth hockey is nowadays, 99% of the people involved are good people. Like literally 99% of the people are good people. And so you get to know those people and, you know, they can help you with different things. The, the one thing that I, I would encourage parents to do, and I would encourage organizations to do, and this was something that kind of rattled me a little bit too, is at some point during the year, you know, you kind of see, and one of the things I want to do is kind of create these committees 
you know, kind of create these committees because as a hockey director, there's certain things that I'm, and Jen Baker talked about this on the podcast that we had with her before. If you haven't listened to that one a couple of weeks ago, holy crap, just an absolute masterclass on, on leadership. Um, but there are certain things that I was kind of suited to do as the hockey director. And then there's other things in a hockey director role um, that maybe you're not as good at, like fundraising or scheduling or tryouts or apparel or social media. Like there's all these different things that could help your organization. And I put an email out to all the parents. I said, Hey, we're trying to commit, create these committees and blah, 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 blah. And maybe I didn't go about it in the right way by just sending in an email. Maybe I should have done it in person or on zoom or something, but we had like, I don't know, three parents email back saying, Hey, yeah, I'll help out with this. That it takes a village to run a youth organization and you need all the volunteers that you can get. And, and I'm sure there's hockey directors on here. Like you really don't know what the job entails until you're doing it. I really believe that because I thought the hockey directors did a certain thing. And then there's all these other things that you have to do. And so like, we need help. We need support. We need people who can do things much better than we can do in terms of running our organization. Like I might've been really good at helping plan practices or helping set a foundation for a culture or whatever, but like, I, I don't really know how to execute a tryout. I don't really know how to best do social media for the, for the group. Like, you know, there's, so hockey directors can't do it by themselves. So number one, hockey directors enlist the help of other people. Um, and for the parents, like if you have a certain skill set that you think can help, like you should help that it would make lives for the hockey directors a lot easier, especially the ones that are more hockey centric hockey directors <laughs> that don't know much about the business of youth hockey or how it works and stuff. Um, I just think that would be helpful. I don't know. I think that's massive. And I think that's great information for even coaches and obviously hockey directors, like something I've been really trying to work with on myself is like, know what I'm good at. And as me being a, you know, a, an entrepreneur, know what I'm good at, know what I'm not good at. And either the things I'm not good at, I need to learn and then apply that new knowledge or more often than not, I need to enlist the help of others, whether it's friends willing to help out or family, or usually it's me paying someone else to do something either I don't have time for I don't know how to do, or I don't want to do. My time is much better served doing the things I am very good at. And I'd rather pay people to do the things I'm not so that I can focus on the things I am good at and grow because that's where I can personally have the most growth and the most impact. While that thing that I would have gotten stuck on and I would have gotten nowhere instead of me being stuck and then not being productive. Now I'm having someone else do that. I think that's probably really, really good advice for hockey directors. Yeah, for sure. I, I think, I think you hit, honestly, I think you just hit the nail on the head. There's certain things that people are good at and certain things that other people are much better <laughs> than, than you at. And so, um, and again, maybe I didn't create the environment or atmosphere where people wanted to be a part. I don't, I don't know, but at the end of the day, like it takes a village. It really does take a village. And I think the organizations that do a really good job are ones that, have a village of people that are volunteering or helping. And, uh, I think it goes a long, long way, long, long way. Um, so, all right. So to kind of end this off here, um, I, I wanted to talk about some things that I feel like I learned, um, in what I can kind of bring with to the next chapter here because I'm still in youth hockey in Chicago and really excited to, to help kind of lift this thing off the ground. Um, 
the, the one big one, I think for all youth organizations, there has to be follow through on the things that you talk about. There has to be follow through on the things that you talk about. I think that's so massively huge. That comes from a lot of feedback that I get from parents that look, that goes from, um, you know, what we did this year, the things where I felt like I fell short, things I felt like we did well, like you have to just follow through on the things. And when you have that follow through, I feel like you can create a lot better buy-in to the organization. So people will, will listen to what you're saying and stuff. So I just think that's a big one, man. Uh, no doubt. I mean, if you, it's like everything we talk about, I mean, listen to the masterclass that, that Jen put on last week, like everything is about culture and leadership and buy-in. And if you don't have any of that, nothing else works. Yeah. And I think going along with that, and this was another thing that I learned, but I think it really is kind of like a one B to this is I think you need people in your organization that are big picture thinkers and you need people in your organization that just get stuff done. You know, like there's two different kinds of people. There's the idea people and there's the get stuff done people. And you need both of those in, in an organization. Ultimately, as a hockey director, I think you need to be both. But also there's only so much you can do and you need to delegate certain things to people who can get stuff done. But you also need people that can help you strategize. And okay, what's, what are we going to look like in five years? What's the youth hockey landscape going to look like in five years? And, and then how can we put ourselves in a position where we can be successful as an organization and really help these kids and these families out? And so part of that is the big picture thinking. Part of that is the, okay, wh- let's take those ideas and now how can we put systems in place where those systems can get executed. I think that that's huge too. I 100% agree. I think that goes right back to what I was just saying. Like know what you're good at, know what you're not and get others to help with the stuff you're not. Yeah. And that's, and that's, again, again, kind of goes along with it, but use the parents. I, I think the parents are a great resource. Yes. You have your, your crazies. Every organization has them. <laughs> 90% of the teams have them. But at the same time, they can be a great resource for your organization to to execute on things, to help you get perspective on certain things, to help you uh, hold people accountable, you know, when people need to be held accountable and stuff. And so I think the more you over communicate with your parents and not put that wall up like, okay, we have the hockey people and then there's all the parents. I, I, I think that's, you know, parents are the ones that are paying the tuition. (laughs) parents are the ones that are sacrificing a lot of their own lives for their kid to be a part of your organization, you know? So, um, I think, I, I, I think you should involve the parents. I mean, they're the ones paying, they're the ones making the decisions, not, not the kid. I say the same thing about, uh, nutrition when I'm talking to kids, I like using metaphors a lot. I feel like it helps people understand parents will come here. He needs to lose weight. He needs to do this. He needs to do that. I'm like, but you're the one grocery shopping. <laughs> like, the parents are the one making the decisions. They're the ones paying the bills. So you have to involve them as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay. And then the last thing is, I think I would encourage everybody to do the best job that you can with the circumstances that you have. And so what I mean by that is things are different in New York than they are in California, than they are in Boston, than they are in Chicago or St. Louis or where everybody has a different set of circumstances. And I feel like there's a lot of people in youth hockey that just like to complain about their circumstances, (laughs) you know, like, oh, we can't do this or we can't have this or because of this, we can't do this. And I feel like I hear that all the time. And I would just encourage like, 
again, COVID was a great teacher from that aspect. You know what I mean? Like COVID gave us circumstances that were less than ideal. And you are going to have less than ideal circumstances everywhere you go. Problems in one area are different than problems in another area. So I would just encourage everybody, and I wish I did more of this as well, is just do your best with the circumstances that you're in. You know, if you care about development, but there's other people in your area that may might have a different idea of what development is, or they don't believe in it as much, develop your players to the best of your ability. Um, it, like, I just feel like we live in this point fingers and if if it's not my way it's the wrong way and there's just a lot of animosity that happens in the youth hockey world and I think a lot of it is just unfounded and I get it I get it because I was that person I would get very upset and you and I would have these conversation off the air about how stressed I was and how I didn't think that people in this area were putting kids first. And, but you know what, maybe they just have a different idea of me of what putting kids first means. And I might not agree with it. I might not think it's right. And there might be some people that it's there about their own ego than (laughs) that rather than the kids, but don't worry about other people. Like do the best job that you can with the circumstances that you have. And I think number one, your kids will be much better for it. Um, And number two, your mental health will be much better for it too. I mean, no doubt spoken like someone who is probably, well, I know and has openly said he's spoken to a psychologist. I mean, just makes sense to me. Again, I'm not, I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus. Like that's not the business that I'm in. There's certainly been a few things this year where people did some stuff that I just scratch my head with. And there's people that I will probably never respect again from seeing some of the things that, that they did, but it is what it is. And rather than getting upset about it, it's, Hey man, just do the best that you can with, with where you're at, do the best job for your kids And I think if we all kind of took that mentality a little bit more instead of like my way is the best and everybody else is wrong, um, it it would just be a lot healthier of, uh, of an environment for our kids to be in. 100%. And I feel like that's one of the most important things we need to constantly be striving for and not in a weak way and the wussification of, of kids or anything like that, but just striving for healthy environments. And that takes a lot of work. It's hard. You know, that takes Very a lot hard. of work. And you, you have to, st- there are some, and, and I think, and this is something that I think all people deal with in, in every aspect of life. There are certain values that you should not waver on. There are certain things that you should say, no, this is how we're going to do it because this is, these are the values that we want as a part of our organization. But then there's other things that you should listen to other people and change, you know, maybe your way isn't the right way. Maybe, maybe you can learn something from other people that do things differently than you. And, and, um, you know, I don't, I don't know. It's just, uh, it's a big part of it. And, and I hope that's one thing that people take out of the podcast is that there's not one way of doing things, be open to change. But if there are certain things and certain principles that you believe in, it's, it's also okay to believe in those things and, and, you know, if it's for the best interest of the kids, then make sure it's still for the best interest of the kids. I love it. I love it. I think you did a great job, man. And one of the craziest years ever being recorded, you know, 
civilized human history. I think you did a great job with, with what you were able to do. And you did a great job just for doing a great job. You've always put the kids first. It's very evident. You've always put development first, uh, no matter the circumstances and uh, excited that, you know, you learned so much in this chapter and you're going to go forward and take what you learned. And, and the goal is to constantly be better. And I, I know you're going to do that in Chicago. And those, uh, all, all these people in Chicago are extremely lucky. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate that. Um, all right. So honestly, for everybody that's listening to this, like if you, if, if something struck a nerve <laughs> or something made sense that we talked about here today, I would love to get your feedback on this one. So whether you want to do it over social media, you know, like text or not text, but write a DM or for Jeff and I uh, on either of our accounts, um, love to hear that. If you want to email me, if it's something a little bit more substantial, um, email me Topher at the hockey think tank.com. Um, I would love to get your feedback on your experiences. Cause like you said, Jeff, like, yeah, we want to get better and we want to do the best job that we can. Well, there's something I wanted to say that's, that's something that's going on here in St. Louis. I, I think that people, it's not so much the hockey director, but it could be, but more of the board of AAA organizations, especially AAA, all, all hockey, but especially AAA. I think that they need to really think about how they treat their alumni and bringing back their alumni and how can, how can every organization make it, you know, hockey, everyone talks about, Oh, we're a family oh, we're this oh, we're that. Well, what are you doing to showcase your alumni's businesses? What are you doing to showcase your alumni's podcast or your alumni's this or your alumni's that like, what are you doing as an organization? Are they on your website? Do you give them reduced rates to put ads up on your website? Do you give alumni free ads on your website? Because people are constantly saying in organizations, you know, it's so cliche, but like live it, don't say it. Like, what are you doing to promote that constant family? And one from a, you know, do what you say, say what you do type of thing. And two, like all your alumni are the ones who are learning all these lessons and getting further in hockey and getting scholarships and go, you know, all of these things. One, you're going to want those alumni back to teach all of the younger generations what they learned because they've learned so much through going through your organization Two, hopefully a bunch of them become successful. And when you need donations within youth hockey, you need sponsors, you need donations. Who, who, you helped grow up the people you helped foster their their creativity their passions how to be a good teammate all these things so like they'll be probably more apt to donate some money to you or donate time uh um than some random joe blow so again like i really think that all youth organizations need to do so much better at alumni outings alumni gatherings trying to get alumni back to coach promoting alumni's businesses, promoting alumni in general, just because I think it's the right thing to do. And hockey is always about family, like I said. And then, you know, you give more, you be more, you, you help them out. I'm sure, you know, karma, it'll come back to you. That's so true. I mean, it kind of goes with like a lot of what we're talking about. The, like the more you invest upfront in people, the more you're going to get back. So the better you treat everybody within your organization, like you said, they're going to want to help you out, which makes your job a lot easier as uh, as an organization, I'd, for sure. And the alumni one, that's, that's huge. And on top of that, too, another reason, like especially AAA and especially now, 
these are families that if they played triple a hockey from 10 years old until 18, eight years of triple a hockey, I don't know, in St. Louis, that's you know, a lot of over, over us, not obviously the organization doesn't get this, but they're spending 20 grand a year, maybe more. It's $160,000 they spent because they played with you played for your organization. I'm not saying you owe them anything, but you owe them something, you know, you, you also owe them as well. So like, just, just doing the right things, you know, you help them as kids, help them as grownups. And it's just going to turn into a cycle of everyone's helping everyone. It's that community. It's everything we constantly talk about. Like I, I had a call with uh, a, an alumni of AAA blues who I'm with, and we had this exact conversation about how, you know, how upset I am that they, I, I think they need to be doing more and having more alumni involved. And I worked my ass off for 17 years to, you know, do all these things and, and make alumni come back and whatever. And, you know, like having an alumni night, Hey, you know, hundred bucks a person, bring your parents. All the parents are getting together from 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, hundred bucks, all you can eat and drink, make it a big party. It'll be soup. Everyone to see their old friends that they haven't seen in forever or people that are with you no, know, like, and then the club's getting some money. Maybe that pays for a whole team's helmets. Like at least it's offsetting some kind of costs for the kids and you're bringing the alumni back in. Now, maybe you get some coaches out of it. Again, everything is cyclical. Everything is connected. I think it just makes sense. And I think that more organizations need to focus on that. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay. Before we do go, I have one more thing that I think I really want to talk about because I think this is really important. Invest in your youngest kids too. I think when people get into youth hockey, they want to be the midget coach or, you know, they want to be the Bantam coach or they want to coach at these higher levels. Like, and that's fine. That's totally fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But I feel like the more organizations invest in their youngest kids, that goes a long, long, long way. And I feel like most organizations put their best coaches at the older levels. Imagine what you could do if you put those coaches at the youngest levels, invest in your learn escape programs, invest in your mites and your squirts, your novices, your atoms. And uh, I just think not enough organizations do that. Um, and so that was just one other thing that I think wanted to throw in there. I had in my notes that I kind of skipped over. Um, but I think it's really important. I love it. And that's, you know, that's like putting, putting all that work front end. So as you get older, it's easier too. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? It, it, it just, then everything runs seamlessly. Everyone knows expectations. Everyone knows everything. I, I totally agree. I love that. Cool. All right. So this was good. This was, this was fun. Hopefully, hopefully people can take some stuff from this. Like I said, email me Topher at the hockey think tank.com reach out to Jeff and I on social media um, with, with your thoughts. Um, and if something resonated, if you disagree with something, if you agree with something, um, we just love to hear what you guys think about, uh, some of the stuff that we talked about here today. So, uh, we really, really appreciate you taking the time to be with us for another hour and a bit on, uh, uh I don't know if it's a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday or Saturday or a Sunday. <laughs> that really, that so, so stupid, but that's okay. <laughs> Very stupid, but roll with it. I love it. What was the joke that you had earlier that didn't land? was bad it doesn't happen often though <laughs> no it doesn't you are the talent you get it all so uh but yeah we appreciate it reach out to us hopefully you got something from this one and hopefully you guys have a great rest of the day